If you're joining us, welcome. Uh, spring break. Great to see so many of you out over spring break. And um, we know there's a lot of families away. If you join us online, we want to give you a very warm welcome. My name is Pastor Phil, Senior Pastor at Willow Park Church. And just to see all of our young people uh, there on mission and what God is doing in their lives is amazing. If you don't know this, but let me remind you, we believe in the power of the gospel as a church to revolutionize and to change lives. We believe that Jesus comes into our life and he changes us and the power of the gospel makes such a remarkable difference in our lives. It's incredible. In fact, on the LA trip, God is saving souls. People are giving their lives to Jesus. It's fantastic. And this is the world we live in. But the other night, they were all at a church in LA. And uh, this was a church they always visit. It's a black church. It is a church that, that celebrates, that preach. It is lively. And they take all of our kids to this particular church to celebrate on a Wednesday night Bible study and prayer meeting. And it's packed out. Did I mention that we're praying on Monday night here at uh, 7 o'clock? I'm not sure whether I did. And it was packed out and my daughter uh, texted my younger daughter and said, oh, we're at this church. And, and then they realized that they were live streaming the service. So we got online. Well, I wasn't there actually. I don't know where I was. At an elders meeting, I think. Went on a long time. And... And, and got onto the web and there they were streaming the service and Michelle and Bella were watching the service there with all of our young people, which was great. And then they texted her and said, Emily, give us a wave. So randomly she waved and we, we, we saw her. And so the sermon went on and then the gospel appeal was given and then we saw one of the young men that had gone on the mission trip who wasn't a Christian get up, walk down the front and give his life to Jesus. So it was, it was marvelous. That's the right story, isn't it? Yeah, I have to get it right because I, I occasionally exaggerate. Um, but it is fantastic. And that's exactly what happened. And isn't that amazing? There you are in, um, in Kelowna, watching it in LA, and God is saving. So when, uh, I hope the end of the story will be that this Sunday night coming uh, at our big baptism service uh, at Pursuit, that that same young man is then baptized. That'd be great. Uh, be wonderful. And I'm sure that, that, that will happen. But on the mission, of course, there are young, some teenagers that are not Christians and are yet to discover Jesus and the Lord is really working in their lives. I want to talk to you about the way of the cross. And last week I spoke about the earlier verses in verse 31 through where Jesus declares that he is the Messiah. And then we saw that what happened was that um, Peter had a meltdown because Jesus said, I must be rejected and I must die. And, and, and Peter took Jesus aside and the scripture says rebuked him. The word rebuke in the Greek is exactly the same as when Jesus used the word, they talk about Jesus rebuking demonic forces. So this was pretty intense 
But Peter said, no, Jesus, no, you cannot. The the Messiah comes to liberate. The Messiah comes with armies. The Messiah comes in power. And you are talking about rejection and death. This is ridiculous. It's like, it's like, you know, I'm trying to think of a sports analogy at this moment. I want to say the Canucks, but I don't quite know how they're doing. And, but it's like the coach coming to the team saying, don't worry, guys. We're going to lose 10-0, but it's going to be good. And they go, no, I rebuke you. We've got to win. We're supposed to win. We're supposed to win the Stanley Cup. No, it's okay. There's a bigger plan at work. Well, listen, there was a far bigger plan at work. And that's why Jesus responded about, get behind me, Satan. Because the concept of the world and what God wants to do, he wants to do something far greater, far bigger, far more profound than just liberating a nation and bringing the nation back to Solomon's kind of era. But he wants to do something far more profound. In fact, Hebrews 9 verse 22 says that without the shedding of blood, uh, there is no forgiveness. See, Jesus had to die and he had to die in a violent way. When he talks about the shedding of blood, and you may not understand this language if you're new to church life, because this sounds rather dramatic and it sounds strange. Is this shed a little blood and sprinkle it? What does it mean without the shedding of blood? There can be no forgiveness of sins. Well, actually, when we see the phrase shedding of blood, it means... Without the giving or taking of life, there can be no forgiveness. You see, when somebody's life is taken or given, as Hebrews points out, there is a will that is activated. And the benefits of his death upon the cross, the will that was activated, is the forgiveness of the sins of the world. So he had to die. And he was taken and put through the judicial system. He was taken and put through uh, the religious courts with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. He was put through the, the national courts with Herod's court. He was put through the Roman courts. And the Romans prided themselves on their justice and the greatest example of justice at the time. Jesus went through all of this judicial system and at the end... A righteous man was condemned for something that was trumped up, but he had to die because it is to show how bankrupt our world is. And when we realize how bankrupt our world is and how Jesus came to turn this world upside down, he had to die for the forgiveness of sins. And the forgiveness to be released into the world and forgiveness to come and to change the world. And where there should be no forgiveness. And I said last week, forgiveness hurts. It hurt Jesus. And when we live a life of forgiveness, when we pay the price, 
When we forgive and walk the way of the cross, we feel the pain in our very body. We feel the pain. And often we talk about forgiveness of just forgive and it's all over. I don't find that. I find that when I forgive somebody that has wronged me, that has offended me, that has hurt me, I take that and I forgive. But there's an element of pain within my journey to initiate forgiveness. There is an element that I have to participate in in that and actually feel that and it's difficult but the pain of forgiveness is nothing compared to the bitterness and the pain of unforgiveness it's a poison that wrecks our lives my friend Simon Trundle a pastor a preacher a social entrepreneur In the Troubles, and you may have watched the news, and you may have seen a brief mention in Canadian news that a man called Martin McGuinness died this past week. Martin McGuinness led a wing, a battalion of the IRA in the Troubles in Britain in Northern Ireland. And he went from being a terrorist to becoming a peacemaker to becoming a politician. McGuinness's journey. And it was unheard of that they made peace in Northern Ireland finally. But when Simon Trundle was in uh, Northern Ireland, he was a builder and he was building uh, police stations uh, for the provincial government. And, and as a result, he was a Catholic man in a business building police stations and engaging in that activity, Martin McGuinness issued an order to murder Simon Trundle. And so the security forces came to him and said, you have to be aware of this, that you have got an order from the IRA and written on that paper is Martin McGuinness. And that was the troubles, the time. So he had to be careful to watch his car, where he went. And one day, a young man came into his office and said, "Um, uh, Simon, can I borrow your your car, please, your BMW? I've got to go and meet some guys from the mainland. They're going to talk about concrete. So we're going to go and meet about concrete. He said, sure, here's my car keys. Threw the car keys. He grabbed them, got in the BMW, went into the center of Belfast, parked the car. Two men walked over the car, knocked on the window. He wound down the window. He said, is your name... Simon Trundle, the guy went to answer and they shot the young boy dead, thinking it was Simon Trundle. This was the worst thing that could ever happen. Simon went to see the young man's mother. The young man's mother looked at Simon and said, Simon, my boy knew Jesus Christ. I know where he is today. I can forgive because I know that he's in the kingdom of God. But Simon, what about you? Because you could have died. He died. Now are you going to live? Two more attempts on Simon's life. The SAS now sleeping in his back garden. They move him to England and he takes on a new role. He disappears in the, in the shires and, and ends up in a small village and finds the Lord as saviour and becomes a local church pastor. 
He wrote to Martin McGuinness when he heard that he was dying a year ago and just reminded him of their history and reminded him that he had fully forgiven him. That would have hurt Simon. In fact, you can feel the, 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 the pain of that decision to forgive even though they were trying to kill his whole family. And yet, even this last week, as he wrote about the event on Facebook, it made me think about our thoughts about forgiveness and the cross. That forgiveness is the only way forward. And for many of us, we know that the poison of unforgiveness is like we drink the poison and we wait for somebody else to die. That's what unforgiveness is. And in our walk with Christ, we realize that this is, this is a high calling, that we have to be willing to walk this way. And when he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. I'm going all the way to the cross. I'm going to die. I'm going to die a violent death. I'm going to die in a way that's going to shock the world. And I'm going to die that one man's death will bring forgiveness to a globe. One man's death will make all of the difference. You see, what the world system does, the world system uses death as a way of controlling people. Corrupt regimes use death. Whether it's Hitler or Stalin or Mao or whether it is today's activities in Syria or the work of ISIS, what we see around the world is that, and go back 2,000 years, it is the fear of death that controlled the people at the time. It is corrupt governments that use death to bring Fear to bring anxiety, to bring control on society. And we've seen this acted out again and again in history. The power and the fear of death to control people. And yet what Jesus is saying here is this. I'm turning that upside down. That the worst thing that can happen to you is death in the mind of man. But Jesus says, I now take the worst thing that can happen to a person and I turn it into the very best thing that can happen. He turns it around. He says, look at your corrupt world. Look at the world that we live in. It is that we look at this world and think this is the very worst that can happen. And yet in the kingdom of God and all that Jesus Christ has purchased and purchased eternity and purchased heaven and purchased our salvation, the worst becomes the best and death has now lost its sting. So rather than feeling the pain often. And the fear of this, we can now live as people that carry the cross, free of fear, full of love, living in this world with the joy of Christ because Christ Jesus has paid the price. We are free people. Of course, we grieve. Grief is a Natural expression, when we love hard, we grieve hard. 
But Jesus says, pick up your cross. And when you pick up your cross, you will experience life. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. We live a different way. We are a saved people. We have lost our life and therefore we have found our life. And I have nothing to fear because Christ has turned the corrupt, bankrupt world around. And he's made the difference. I've got nothing to fear. My best friend was on a flight And he said to me, this happened to me on a flight, Phil. I said, yes. He said, I got on this flight and this lady sat next to me. I said, oh, okay. And she she seemed a bit nervous and full of anxiety about about flying. Um, And and, and he he said, are you okay? She said, well, actually not. I'm really nervous about flying and dying. He goes, oh, okay. She said, when we take off and go down the runway, may I hold your hand? He was a bit unsure. (laughs) He went, he's kind of like me. Yeah, come on, we'll get through this together. He said, and she was, uh, you know, he didn't feel too uncomfortable, he said. And... And so she looked at him and she said, but do you know the 16-second rule? I said, "Um." she said, hmm, no. Well, when you go down the runway and you start to engage engines, you count to 16. And if you still haven't got off the ground at 16 seconds, you're going to die. He goes, really? She goes, yes. Grabs hold of the hand. They go down the room and he said, we started to engage the engines and the plane started to rumble and then she started to count. One, two, three, four. And then I started to pray. A lot of fear. But the worst thing becomes the best thing because we have a saviour that died and rose again. He's turned the bankrupt society of our world upside down. Even the judicial system was bankrupt, proving that there is no justice in man. There's only justice in heaven. And true justice is what Christ did upon the cross to redeem humanity. So he says, pick up your cross. He says, if you want true life, then lose your life. The word here, life, means psycho. As in our character, as in our identity, as in who we are. So he's saying, right now, what I want you to do, I want you to save your life. You must live it to save your character, to save your personality, to save who you are. I want you to lose it. But whoever loses their, their character, their, their, their identity, their their personality you are thinking in me for the gospel will be saved. So let's just deal with one point here. It does not mean 
that we become Christians and we lose who God has made us to be. See, that's Eastern religion. Eastern religion says, connect, get rid of your old self, re-emerge as a completely different person. Wearing long flowing things and burning joss sticks and I don't know, and, and talking in a... Hmm. Lose yourself and then you kind of go to a higher level of consciousness. So you no longer exist. This isn't what Christ is teaching here. He's talking about lose your identity to do that you gain with the world and worldly things. So I've got my character. You've got your character. I have my character and and I think one way and you think another. God has made us with diverse characters. He's made us in in our life, but he's talking about where we put our attention, where our focus is in life. What comes first? We lose what? What he's actually teaching, because he goes on to say that if you could gain the whole world but lose your soul, what is the point? He's saying, you know, we build our lives on what we acquire. We build our lives on our achievements. We build and gain value for who we are by what we have, by what we possess, by who we are, by our lives. He says, but you have to, and we make those achievements, and we make those things we acquire the focus of our life. And he's actually saying is, for true freedom, don't make Things and what we acquire, the focus of our life, the focus of our life is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's where the focus is. It's what comes first. It's saying my focus. You see, there are two kinds of of traditional ways of which people gained value. There's what they call the traditional way, which was through, you know, I live, I have children, I have uh, um, I achieve by my great-grandchildren and, and I have all of these generations and I live in this land and, and I'm part of this culture and I gain status and prestige by my sons and by my daughters and my granddaughters and my grandsons and my great-grandsons and we have lived on this land for generations. That's one way human beings have always talked about status. In Canada, we don't do it that way. You know, I live in Rutland and I live on this land and upper Rutland. And for generations, we will walk these streets. And my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren shall walk along Highway 33. Um, (laughs) This is a great event. And historically, people have gained value from the structure of their family and their position in society. Other ways in individualistic societies, we gain value from our status, from our income, from our reputation, from the way that we look, from succeeding in life, from our performance and what we achieve in life. This is what we do. We gain the whole world. 
But Jesus says, if you gain the whole world, but lose your life, your soul, you'll never find what you're looking for in that direction. You have to be willing to pick up your cross and follow me. You have to be willing to say, I lose my life and I submerge my life and I follow Jesus with all of my heart. Because what Jesus is actually saying is that all of those value things that we value, all of those things we perform, we achieve, we do, will never be enough to sustain us in life. It is never enough, all of that. It may be helpful, it may be good. We want good careers, but it's never the first thing. The first thing is him in our lives. And that's what it means to pick up the cross. You put him first. You see, you may have all of those things I've described, but what happens when it goes wrong? There are plenty of people in the last few years with the oil fields changed that had thriving businesses thought life was going to be absolutely fantastic and overnight a change of an oil change price and the global market affected business after business in our province of Alberta. We saw that happen. Overnight it changed. We saw in 2008, overnight it changed. Because actually, all of those things we value are never enough when overnight things can change. And you're left, for many, for no fault of themselves. The bank is overdrawn. Life is hard. Relationships struggle. They feel the pain of it. It's never enough. Because all that you achieve and all that you go for is never enough. None of these things are ever enough. But what Jesus is saying, lose yourself in me. Pick up the cross. Put me first. And you will discover your true identity. You will discover your true life. You will discover your true personality. You will discover that despite the values of the world, they're the worst things can be the best thing because you put me first in your life. We have to be willing to say, I pick up my cross, like it says, and I follow Jesus. What does it mean to pick up your cross? Three little pictures I want to give you. First of all, To pick up your cross means practically that you lay down your personal agenda for your life. And the only agenda you have for your life is the agenda that Jesus Christ has for your life. That's why it's hard. Because you're saying, your will first. 
I pick up my cross. The cross was the journey that Jesus had to travel to fulfill the will of the Father to redeem the world. What is the cross you have to travel to fulfill the will of God in obedience for you to fulfill what God wants to do in your life? Lay down your agenda. The second thing is stop negotiating with God. You can't do a deal with God in that way. Uh, God, I'll do this if you do that. We have a, a president in the United States who is the great deal maker. That's how he made his name. Negotiation. Walking away from the table. Going to the table. Dealing with people. Made some of the biggest ever real estate deals in history. But when it comes to the sovereign Lord, it's time for me to stop negotiating and start to say, Lord, thy will be done. You saved me. I'm your disciple. I pick up the cross and I will walk your way. In ancient history, a Older man or a earl or a knight would take his sword. And the sword representing his power, his prestige, who he is. He would take his sword and lay it down at the feet of the sovereign and say, I am yours to command. To pick up the cross means you lose your agenda. To pick up the cross means you're giving up negotiations. To pick up the cross means you take all who you are, your sword, your achievement, all that you have acquired, all that you are in your life, all that the world offers because you know the world can never give you the value you need and you lay it at the feet of Jesus and you declare, my value comes through my relationship with Jesus. Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's where it comes from. And it's a hard journey. But Jesus has turned the world upside down. And he says, the worst things that man can throw at us now is the best. I've defeated this world through the cross. Now pick up the cross, walk my way, walk away of obedience, walk away of relationship with the Father, walk in value. And I've sat with people that have been gone, been through pain of a relationship breakup or a business failure. Or the many, or battling with anxiety that is affecting their whole life as a pastor. I know that at the end, when all of that stuff is taken away, that the real peace comes when an individual is just completely reliant upon Jesus. Says, Jesus, you're first. Jesus, you are number one. Jesus, 
I choose to follow your way in my life. So as a church and as a people, are we willing? Are you willing to pick up your cross? To lose your life so you may gain your life? To lay down your agendas? To lay your sword at the feet of the king? To do his bidding and to do his will. Because that's what Jesus is asking of his disciples. I want to be first. I want to be first in your life. It's amazing. And the more I put Jesus first, the truth is, the more I find myself. The more I put Jesus first... The more I carry the cross, the more I lose myself in him. I discover the beauty of who God wants me to be. And the value that I have is not rooted in anything else apart from in God the Father and in Christ. Let's pause and pray. Father, we search our hearts before you now. And Lord, we confess that there are areas of our life where we are still holding on to our agenda. We've put our value in areas of our life that have failed us. And Lord, I pray that we will gain our value not by the world, but our value by following the King. I, Lord, choose today to rededicate my life to you. I choose today To make you Lord. I put you as first. And may I lose myself in you to find myself. Help me Lord. Help us all. To put Christ first. In our lives I pray. Amen. Maybe use this song as we close as a song of profound dedication. And lay your life out. Sing it with all your heart and offer it to the Lord Jesus Christ.